Welcome back, everyone. It's been a few weeks since my last episode, but this one is really, seriously, a real, real treat. George Church, a legend in the field of biology and genetics. He co-initiated the Human Genome Project and the Brain Initiative. He was one of Time's 100 Most Influential People of 2017, alongside people like Ed Sheeran, Julian Assange, Elizabeth Warren, Pope Francis, LeBron James, Donald Trump, Jeff Bezos, Melinda Gates. He is a pretty big deal in the field of synthetic biology, and he co-founded a new company called Nebula Genomics, which is using blockchain technology to allow people to manage their own personal genomic data and actually get paid for it. So this is going to be really fun, really cool. Hope you guys enjoy it. Once again, let's do this. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. On today's episode, we have George Church, professor at Harvard and MIT, co-author of 480 papers, 130 patents, and one book, Regenesis, which was originally published in 2012. His contributions have enabled nearly all advancements in next-generation DNA sequencing methods. He's co-founded over 20 companies, and he was listed as one of Time's 100 Most Influential People of 2017. He's also considered the father of synthetic biology. George, thank you so much for joining me today, and welcome to Health Unchained. Oh, thank you. So, George, tell me, um, you know, this is a blockchain podcast. So the new company that you've started, which I'd like to talk a little bit about, Nebula Genomics, how did you get started with that company, and what gave you the idea? Well, uh, so... I had, I had uh, tried out many different ways of getting uh, genomics and uh, related informatics uh, uh, to the people, to, to people in general, and uh, had been skeptical of all things having to do with uh, privacy, security, uh, encryption, uh, et cetera. Um, for, since about 2005, we've been trying things. Uh, and then a, then a very talented student, uh, um, Dennis Grisham, uh, in my laboratory, did did a deep dive and, and convinced himself, and then later me, that that things had changed recently, and that there and there was a particular path through this, not 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 every one of them, um, where uh, um, one could ask uh, queries uh, that potentially. Uh, through homomorphic encryption or some other encryption, and then keep track of the transactions on the blockchain um, uh, that would that would satisfy most of what we needed in order to get uh, inf- uh, genomic information uh, uh, and medical information exchanged. So I guess let's take a little step back. Um, there are other companies doing, you know, DNA testing. For people, you can spit into a uh, little container and mail it over to them, and then they'll provide you with some information about your DNA. Uh, however, I think there's a little bit of a misconception about 
what that means. Uh, different companies do it different ways. You have this idea of genotyping versus you know DNA sequencing. Can you kind of provide some insight into what's the difference between the two? Right. Uh, so um, the main t technical differences lie on a spectrum of uh, getting closer and closer to a, f a full medical genome. So some people may have heard of the Genome Project. That was a, a full genome, but it was not medical grade. It was uh, it's because you, you, have, you inherit your information from both your mother and your father. And the, the so-called Genome Project from, 2000, from, from around 1984 to 2004 was uh, not medical grade in that regard. And then there's, things, then there's some current products which, uh, where you might look at common differences, say, between you and me. And those typically don't cause disease, but they're, they're, they're sometimes informative. So that's the least expensive. Uh, and then there's a way you can look at just the parts that code for the proteins, so the main molecules of your body. And that's about 1% of your genome. So in principle, that should be 100 times cheaper than your whole genome. In practice, everything's about the same cost now. So your genotype, which is a, a tiny fraction, um, less than 1%, then the 1%, which is your coding region, is about $600 and your whole genome is about $600 to, to produce. Typically, it's around $1,000 when you get full interpretation and, and uh, genetic counseling along with it. So basically, but the differences in, in terms of value, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, this is a little longish answer, but let's say you have 10 regions scattered around your genome that encode for particular proteins. These are called exons, and if you have 10 exons, then your exome will sequence those 10, but nothing in between. And what happens is there's stuff in between that will influence whether that gene works or not. Like, for example, you could flip these around, or you could change the connection between these two. By and anyway, your exome, exome looks normal, but uh, the genes are broken. That particular gene is broken. So. If there were a huge difference in price, you might say, okay, I'm willing to take a risk. But uh, now that the price is almost the same, I would say that's not very good. So there are very few companies right now that offer whole genome sequencing in a medical setting um, at a low cost. Um, and that's, and that's uh, I think, a prerequisite for this blockchain uh, company. Right, and your previous company, Veritas Genetics, that's um, a company that is doing whole genome sequencing. That's an example, two examples of companies that are doing whole genome sequencing are Veritas Genetics in, uh, in the United States and China, and then BGI, uh, which is a Chinese company that also works in China, in, in China and America. And, um, and they are doing whole genome sequencing. There's still a little piece of the genome that's missing, but, it, but uh, it's certainly much closer to whole genome than anything else. Um, other things are like 1% of the genome. Yeah, I think a lot of people are more familiar with like Ancestry.com or 23andMe. And most recently, 23andMe and had... really even medical for the... Ancestry.com is not medical. They're certainly not a full medical genome. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's... Uh, it's true. I just don't think... Um, and there's not only that, but there's also other issues with those companies where they don't actually provide the user or the person providing the DNA with... 
um, ownership of that information. So right. they're actually monetizing patients and other people's DNA by giving it to different pharmaceutical companies. Most recently, uh, 23andMe just announced they're getting $300 million from Glasgow Smith Klein. Um, what are your thoughts around that, just the way ownership is is set up there? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 a business model. Um, it's not it's not particularly uh, sinister in the sense that you, you know you, you have a chance to, to sign up or not sign up. I mean, and they and they are somewhat they're basically transparent about what they're what the options are. But I mean, we're kind of living in an era of click through where you just say yes, yes, yes. You know, I agree to all the terms and agree, but. Uh, but they're not really offering you an alternative uh, other than just nothing. Um, and the alternative should be you own your genome. And uh, if anybody profits from your genome, it should be mainly you. And then they could take a, a tiny fraction of that off. But instead, in this case, you pay them to get your, you know, whatever uh, meager uh, information you get. And then they are the only ones that, benefit, that that profit from anything downstream from that, like as far as I know. Okay, right. So that's that's a that's the most common model. It's not just Twenty Three Me, and it's it's many many uh, other, uh, including some of of, of um, uh, my, my own companies like um, like Gnome. Uh, well, actually, Gnome didn't resell it to other people, but uh, they, yeah. Um, so. I was actually wondering about um, the Personal Genome Project, and I know that's more of a nonprofit and it's more volunteer-based. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and you know the traction that's gotten? Right. So the Personal Genome Project is is yet a kind of a third axis here. Is is you've got um, it, it, it is also whole genome, um, but um, but you could you could say there's one where some someone else owns the data and uh, sells it out from under you. There's one where you own the data and you kind of control it, and there's one where there's essentially nobody owns the data because it's just it's free in the public domain. And that's what the that's what the personal genome project is. It's like Wikipedia for human information, and it's not for everyone. But I mean, it's it's I think it's important to have that as part of the ecosystem. Um, uh, but it's it's for altruists or it's for people who are um, have a very serious disease in their family and they want to they want to have everybody in the world looking at it uh, without any impediments. Um, so it's the only uh, open source, um, the only open access uh, way of getting information about genes, and viruses, and traits about individual human beings in such a way that uh, that is is really freely uh, available. Um, yeah, so I think that part's cool. The ability to actually also not just provide genomic information, but also the phenotypes of the individuals and what they're seeing and the traits and maybe include their diet and uh, habits to put that all together. And, and that's, um, you know, the Personal Genome Project provides a place for people to do that. I can also envision, you know, your new company also doing that. Is that something you're looking into? Well, so so nebula genomics is, uh, in a certain sense, opposite of that, in that we're trying to figure out a way that people can can 
uh, have the best possible security and, uh, and, and, and never give their genome to anybody else, getting bits of information, ideally in an encrypted form. Um, but that said, it is uh, the opposite in that regard, but it is compatible as well in that once people have their own genome, then they're in a better, and, they're, and their own um, medical data in a format that's shareable, then they can share it as broadly or, or not as they want. So if they, yeah, so this, this gives them much more control. For me, they can go from either end of the spectrum, anything in between. How, so just thinking about technology in general and the progress we've seen with, you know, genetics over the last few decades especially how soon do you think we'll be able to have uh you know either a product or a platform that can on a daily basis make real-time recommendations for optimizing our health and increasing our longevity okay so this is yet another axis so the three axes are one is technical how close is it to a, 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 a useful medical genome? Who controls it? Now the third one is, is how useful is it on a day-to-day basis? And again, the, 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 the standard practice, if, if there, to the extent that there is standard practice, is to have it, somebody else owns it, you don't own it, uh, it isn't very high quality the medical genome, and um, it's highly interpretable. It's something that's going to be really fun. You're going to pull it out several times a day. And again, Nebula doesn't make that claim. They, they, they're the opposite of the standard practice. And, and, and I would say that the honest thing to tell you is that if you've got your full genome sequence, even the full genome, uh, the average person will not learn anything from it much. Uh, that is to say, 95% of us will not have anything medically actionable to do. And and you don't want to misrepresent it. To, oh, a year from now, there's going to be a bunch of studies that is going to make it valuable for you, and you just all have to watch, you know, just watch the your app or watch the New York Times or something, it or pad podcast. It's not going to get better a year from now. But five percent of you will have something that's life altering, this multi million dollar problem uh, with with huge um, pain and suffering in your family. Well, then that starts to say, well, yes, okay, that starts to align with what actually happened. And part of the reason that people aren't getting their genome sequenced is they, they, it's like seatbelts um, and airbags. Is 99% of us will never have an accident where we need a seatbelt or airbag. And, and to, to first approximation, we, 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 wouldn't use, we didn't use our seatbelts when they were first installed. But it is an incredibly powerful public health uh, advantage to have to, to, to respect that 1% or 5% that will have a very tragic outcome for either uh, genomic or, or automobile accident. So we need to figure out an incentive so that people will use their seatbelts, which is an annoying noise that they make, um, or an incentive for getting a genome sequence, which is um, a free genome, possibly incentivized, you know, getting money being paid to get your genome done, and then some kind of uh, simple computer app that that um, clearly benefits you if you happen to be in the five percent, and you don't know whether you're in the ninety-five percent or the five percent until you get your genome and your app works on it. 
Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you for you know being upfront about you know the actuality of the situation. And I think that another incentive could be where insurance companies might have a lower premiums for individuals who do have their genome sequenced and maybe even shared with the insurance company. Yeah, I don't think they have to share the genome with the insurance company for the insurance company to benefit. So if I'm a health insurer um, and you, or life insurance, if you live longer and you stay out of the uh, hospital, I'm, we're both going to make money on that. Um, and, it's, and it's quite a lot, too. And if you're in the 5% that's severely affected or your child is uh, and you can avoid that, that's, that's millions of dollars saved uh, for every child. In that five percent, right? You know, having you on the show, this is a great opportunity. What scientific and social problems are you most concerned with, or obsessed with these days? Well, this is definitely one of them. I, I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah. It's very rare that you get something where uh, you have something that's beneficial to society, uh, uh, like a twenty to one return on an investment in a two year time frame, because two years is sort of like the the time between you're you're in a position where matchmaking mat might matter to your future mate choice, and then having a child that that's a, about a two year time frame, and it's quite clear who the benef- beneficiaries would be, which is the family and uh, health insurer or uh, employment based health plans. Uh, it's very rare that you have that that happening. You know, so, and so it's it's it should be a win win, but no, but, but but so I'm obsessed with trying to uh, talk to the right uh, people so that we can pay it forward. And everybody can get uh, their free genome and maybe some incentive money as well. Second after that would be uh, aging reversal. So so we have a, a paper coming out soon um, on uh, uh, de risking that for for veterinary studies uh, where we can do aging reversal in dogs. We've done it in mice already for five different uh, diseases uh, with a combination gene therapy. And then and they will do it as a dog product, and then that will help us pay for human clinical trials. So I think that's, that's exciting. We're doing things on the brain initiative. We're doing, um, we have a weight. We think we can make any organism resistant to all viruses um, by a, a, a process we call Genome Project Right, where we change the genetic code. Those are some of the yeah. ones we're excited I, about. I'm a little familiar with the age, um, I guess, reversal project. And I've seen there was a lab at Harvard that was um, combining or connecting young mice with old mice uh, right. so that their blood would be um, shared. And then that would actually kind of, I guess, improve their health uh, in a way. I guess that was the experiment. I was yeah. actually um, – I spent – I. I worked in a lab as well, so I um, dissected those mice and had their oh, removed oh. their intestines, and so that was at the the Koch Institute. Uh, we moved them over there, and that's where we did those experiments. But um, do we want to like extend life? I guess is another question I have for you. Like, what's? I guess you know it would be great to have an extended life and remain healthy, and you know physically and mentally aware. Um, but to what end? And do you think that, you know, is this something that's going to happen during this century or is it going to be like just a long-term goal for a while? All right, it's hard to predict, but. Well, yeah, so um, 
there are a few questions in there. I mean, one is we're not we're not really aiming at life extension. We're aiming for aging reversal, and there's a few pragmatic reasons for that. One is it, um, that if you go to the FDA and you say I'm, I have a, a a product that will extend human life by 30 years, they're going to say come back after you've done a 30 year trial, which is um, prohibitive. Um, and you shouldn't be labeling your product that it extends life uh, unless, unless you've done that. Um, but aging reversal is something that can happen very quickly. There's a whole variety of uh, physiological um, metrics, um, diseases that, 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 that uh, don't affect young people or young mice, uh, but are lethal uh, later in life. You can show that, that, that you can show that your treatment, results in an outcome that's similar to what would happen in a young, young animal or young person. So that, that, that's in principle something you could do the same way you would do any other drug. So that's, that's prag one pragmatic reason uh, is that it's just uh, better. Now your question, question of whether, um, what, to what end, I think if you have aging reversal where you're basically um, maybe already healthy, and but you go to an age where you're much more resilient to to disease. I think it's most people. There are some people who say that they want to to live a normal lifespan, but many of those people are already beyond the average lifespan that we used to die. Uh, I mean, for example, I'm basically Fair. twice as old as I should be. If I, you know, in the old days, I would have been dead uh, 30 years ago. And I'm not lining. I'm not saying, "Oh yeah, kill me now." Uh, and I think that if I if if I were a 90-year-old that felt like a 20-year-old, it would be very hard to say, "Yeah, um, I'm beyond my natural limit." Um, I sh I, you know, I should kill myself now. I just I think it it becomes suicide. It is suicide. Um, and many and many people are uh, at the peak of their. I mean, I feel like I'm more. Um, uh, with it more capable of scientific uh, um, inquiry than I've ever been. And uh, it just seems like a bad time to pull the plug if I were a computer uh, after you just programmed me and I just spent a lot of time on my education. Um, Absolutely. I so, hope you continue what you're doing because the things you're doing are changing the world. So well, well, don't well, thank stop. you. But, but you know, I'm not, I'm not making a special plea that to, 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 uh, but but I but I think that's going to be true for everybody. Many 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 people who who uh, would not, uh, and then who would not otherwise be uh, interested in in um, in the age in longevity. They might be interested in living if they're if they're youthful and healthy. And then there's the question of overpopulation. I think that um, um, we have a, a we're, we have a growing crisis is just the opposite direction where we have um, people's expectation of family size in cities is about 1.2 um, and that's not replacement level which is 2.1 uh, and that's almost every city all over the world whether it's Mumbai or Shanghai or, or Boston and um, and also we're I think we might be getting to a point where um, uh, getting off the planet and you know, creating enclosed spaces all over the place um, might be become cost effective. I mean, it's not certainly not there yet, but it's 
you can see a path in that direction, in which case we'll do what we did in Europe, which is everybody left Europe to go to the new world. Uh, and so those two factors could conspire to produce a great diminution just at a time where we're, I think we're figuring out the, uh, the incentives and economics by which we could have better land use where we could easily support 10 billion people without hurting uh, the, without polluting, without uh, hurting the environment. So anyway, it just seems like these things are, uh, would align to, if you could, if you could continue to have children into your uh, old age, you might say, well, I'll have some grandchildren, but I'll also have some children. Right? You know? right. You know. Have you ever met Elon Musk? Uh, yeah, sure. We, 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 we've uh, done a few things together. I gave a couple day uh, seminar in his, uh, in his factory. Uh, That's awesome. A few years ago. Yeah. Very interesting. So earlier this year in the guardian, uh, I think it was in February, you said genome sequencing is like the internet back in the late 1980s. Do you want to go into a little bit of detail and explain what you mean by that? Um, well, I don't remember the con I don't know the context, but, but generally speaking, we, uh, if you had asked somebody in the, say seventies, you know, whether they would like to be carrying around a computer, they would, you know, they would just laugh and they, right. they wouldn't even know what you're talking about. Or they would say computers are gigantic and they always will be. And, uh, and, and, and why would I need, you know, that kind of, uh, capability. Um, and then what happened is around 1993, we got the first web browser, and then suddenly we went from it being a pretty esoteric or, or poorly utilized, maybe uh, emails, a few emails here and there, um, a few demonstration products to, boy, everybody has a website, and there's, a, there's actually a financial um, uh, ec economic boom happening in this in this bit of virtual space um just really one year 1993 um i think the same thing could happen in genetics i mean we, we don't know what year that is could be 2018 could be 2019 um where suddenly everybody gets a clue almost simultaneously uh you know it's possible that if that a free genome or a, a genome where they pay you hundreds of dollars to get your genome sequence would be enough to go viral and everybody gets, and then with everybody has a genome, then that creates a whole new ecosystem where people develop apps for it uh, that are very simple to use, like our, like our driving and search uh, engines. Um, right. And so that, not... that could be, a, that, in both cases, you had this huge sudden blossoming of creativity and, and opportunity. Right. And, you know, imagining the world all having their whole genome sequenced, you can create new uh, marketplaces. So you can have, you know, people using certain technologies, editing your genome or editing some of yep. your uh, genes so that you maybe aren't able to get some certain viruses, like you were saying, or maybe you'd like to have some designer genes input into your system. Uh, where, um, you know, I know you're very um, involved in the bioethics of all of this, so I'd maybe kind of want to know more about 
how the community is managing bioethics in terms of biohacking and all these things. I've seen like articles where high school graduates are just like trying to use CRISPR to edit the genome. And are there dangers around that? What are your thoughts around that? Right. Well, so you can, you can kind of divide it into, uh, you know, risk, perceived risks, uh, risk on reading your gene, you know, just looking at your genome, risks of editing your genome or, or, uh, or non-human genomes. Each of these is a different category of risk. Um, and I think the community is doing a pretty good job. Uh, mo- most, of the, most of the risks are kind of classical, uh, m- let's say, medical, environmental, agricultural risks, which are handled, handled by the FDA, the USDA, and the, and the EPA. And, and they're actually handled quite well, and we should celebrate and support those government agencies and the equivalents in other countries, which are also doing pretty well. The things that sometimes slip through the cracks and deserve additional ethical support are um, not just safety and efficacy, but uh, equitable distribution. That is to say that we don't create or expand a a gap between rich and poor. And that can be partially addressed by bringing down the price, which we have done. My, My group and others have brought down the price of some of these biotechnologies by 10 million fold. Um... Long, really long-term uh, risks, so things that may be perfectly safe and effective short-term, meaning half a lifetime, um, might might have something uh, that takes generations to discover. You know, for example, maybe rabbits and cane toads in Australia, or um, right. you know, whatever's happening in the Mediterranean near the uh, the Cousteau uh, uh, Institute, or or you know, Yosemite, Yellowstone, and, uh, and wolves. Uh. Introducing Quick Quotes on Health Unchained. This quote's from Francis S. Collins, the director of the National Institute of Health. Decoding the human genome sequence is the most significant undertaking that we have mounted so far in an organized way in all of science. I believe that reading our blueprints, cataloging our own instruction book, will be judged by history as more significant than even splitting the atom or going to the moon. Thank you. Now back to the show. You know, having started or co-founded many companies over your time, so you're pretty much a very experienced uh you, know, you, you live in startup land. And I was wondering, what kind of advice do you give some of your students when they come up to you and say, and I'm considering starting a company with this new idea and they have this idea they want to pursue? What kind of uh, advice or wisdom do you give them? Oh, I'm not sh- I'm, uh, <clears throat> There is some experience, I'll admit. I don't know about the wisdom part. Uh, <laughs> I try it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it would be potentially disingenuous to, to say you're all going to succeed depending on their definition of success. So sometimes the rule of thumb is that one out of nine will succeed, meaning stay in possession of your company and, and ride it out to, uh, to, to a large company. But there are other forms of success. Sometimes your technology is acquired. 
sometimes you might have to go on and start several companies before you, but that first one that failed technically uh, set you, you know, get, got you the experience you needed to start another one. So it, it's not quite so clear what is success and failure. Um, so that's one bit of uh, experience, fair. I should say. Uh, you know, the one is, is you know, most of the, my uh, students and postdocs uh, who are starting companies and, and there and they're many of them now they they really have a, a passion for something that that society needs it's not something they're going to cram down society's throat to the detriment of society like like say sugary drinks or um cigarettes electronic or cigarettes uh is the latest fad mm-hmm. um <clears throat> that it's I, I think they really their hearts in the right place and i and i try to encourage that it's easy to get enthralled in your own technology, and so I try to encourage them to, to ask whether they, they really think the world is going to want this. Even if it's good for the world and the technology is awesome, it's still not enough. You need to see that there's a pathway by which you can get a, acceptance. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot that they're doing for each other. It's kind of like a big brother, big sister thing is that the ones that were just uh, that have just launched come back and educate the ones uh, that are still incubating their thoughts uh, in uh, at Harvard in the university system. Yeah, you got to pay it forward. I think that's it's not only rewarding for the receiver, but the giver, uh, the person yeah. paying it forward, gets a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. They, reward, they do so. it spontaneously, and they sure. they enjoy helping the younger students uh, with their experience. So it's it's not just my sixty four year old experience. It's that it's that one that's you know, 28 years old that's going back and telling the 26 year old how to, where all the landmines are. Yeah. Um, so thinking about that, what's, you know, if they're deciding on a type of company, what's more important? There are information systems, types of companies like R and D, uh, that deal with computers and coding, but there's also companies like microbiology labs and doing, you know, wet lab type of work. Um, and then there's many that need require both. Is there one that's like how dependent are they on each other for you know this field of work that you do? Yeah, I would say at, at this point, uh, it'd be very difficult to have a, a biotech startup with a big without a, a big component of uh, information technologies, bioinformatics, and 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 often. Uh, uh, other computational biology. So I think you can make a computational company without biology, but not, not so much vice versa. Um, I think it's, uh, it's challenging to do a bioinformatics company that's pure uh, bioinformatics, be, partly because there's almost always some small university lab that's willing to do it for free, put it in open source, there's all, often some big company that's willing to do it for free, because you know, like Google, um, and so you get cramped, you get smashed between the rock and the hard place of, of, of big companies have different motivation, and 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 uh, academics that have uh, that are not motivated at all by uh, keeping the lights on in in a, in a small startup. So, so that's so. From that standpoint, it's very helpful if you can package it together with some some wet bench work, um, where you can add value and produce, a, you know, kind of a a 
concrete product, um, you know, a, a therapeutic, a diagnostic, uh, a device um, that have, leverages the computational, it might be machine learning, it might be, um, you know, the latest discriminator uh, methodology uh, or computer-aided design software that now is biodesign. Any of these things uh, can be greatly augmented by uh, by having a real-world uh, laboratory component. So just thinking about nebula genomics again, um, to me that seems like more heavier on the information system side of things, right? You're organizing... <laughs> So if that's your focus on that company, what kind of what kind of challenges are you facing? Um, you know, getting well, I think what, what I just what I just said about how it's very helpful if you have a heavy computational focus to have a laboratory component. In this case, the riskiest part of it could be, could have been the providing a, a actual DNA sequencing um, instrumentation and uh, uh, you know collecting the saliva samples yeah, the and whole supply chain. making sure you're 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 de dealing with real people and their needs and their uh, consent and so forth. But that's been de risk in the case of Nebula because Nebula is working closely with with Veritas Genetics, who, which has three years of experience of delivering whole genome sequence at sub thousand dollar with full interpretation and genetic counseling. So they deal with uh, the people as real people and, and, and de they dealing with doctors and, and clinical lab CLIA approval and all that stuff. And so Nebula can keep its highly, uh, you, know, um, you know, mathematical and computational focus um, without getting distracted by these things that, that otherwise would be a complete showstopper. <clears throat> so far, how many individuals have um, gotten their genome sequenced through Nebula Genomics? Well, Nebula, Nebula is uh, or with leveraging Veritas. Veritas. So the yeah. question is how many has Veritas done, and I actually don't know that, that number. Um, okay. I know that uh, um, uh, BGI and CGI, so two of my other companies that merged uh, not too long ago, were well into the uh, tens of thousands, uh, and, and probably constituted close to half of the human genomes in the world uh, that were complete. Um, and then a, 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 a big market that BGI has, has exploited beyond the whole genome sequencing is the non-invasive prenatal testing, um, and that is in the millions of genomes now. Um, oh, wow. Now, there's, those are not whole genomes. That's a very specialized uh, uh, test, um, but it uses whole genome sequencing data from the mother's blood where both the, the fetus and the mother's DNA is um, floating around, and you have to have very good software to sort through um, the amount of each. Uh, and, and so you can, amazingly, in the trace amounts of fetal DNA that's floating around in the mother's blood, you can... Uh, not only see it, say that's fetal DNA, but you can find out if the if there's too many copies of a particular chromosome. Um, so anyway, th those are examples of numbers that that are um, you know public about either whole genome sequencing or or the 
this whole genome sampling that's non-invasive prenatal testing. Interesting. From what I understand, if you take that data as a raw file, it's it could be up to 200 gigabytes. But, you know, through previous conversations, you know, you've told me that it could be, you know, compressed down to about three megabytes, which I found pretty interesting. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Right. Well, yeah, well, sometimes uh, groups will, uh, for their own purposes, overstate uh, and less frequently understate the, the storage problems. I mean, for example, if you want to get uh, a, a truly vast amount of government funding uh, to, say, say the project like All of Us, uh, which is a, then you might want to say that we're going to store this vast amount of data. But it, if you get high-quality data, then you can compress it, uh, and, it's to, and it's to your advantage to do that because then um, there's a huge difference between uh, 300 gigabytes and, and 3 megabytes. Uh, I mean, you're talking about uh, 4 to 5 zeros different um, um, orders of magnitude. Uh, you know, I'm still concerned about, like, this ethical treatment, non-ethical treatment of our genome or people trying to, uh, you know, I'm thinking about claiming superiority over certain genome, you know, types of people versus the other types of people. And I know you talk about this in your book, Regenesis, and how in reality diversity is what we're sh- we should be striving for because a diverse population is one to tend to survive. Um, and I think that, you know, with the potential of editing your genetics, you're going to have even more diverse populations, but are there chances of like runaway mutations or things like that, that we can by accident create problems for ourselves in the future? Well, I mean, so, uh, I mean, there's runaway mutations within the human population. There's runaway mutations within rapidly growing organisms like bacteria or insects. Uh, I would say that we should worry about every all of these things, but uh, you know, I would say that uh, um, we need to make sure that not only is the government uh, approval process healthy, which I think it is, um, but we need surveillance in the case of people that are not going through the uh, the approval process. Um, I mean, there might be people who are uh, um, do-it-yourselfers who feel that the costs. Uh, of government approval too high, or there could be people who are are intentionally trying to cause trouble or make a point, uh, as happens when you get, uh, which happens with physics and chemistry as well as biology. Uh, just biology is the newest kid on the block, and biology is more serious in a way than physics and chemistry because it it will spread. It has the capability of spreading without limits. Uh, or at least limits imposed only by the environment, not by the initial amount. So typically uh, a nuclear weapon or a, or a chemical weapon is limited by the mass of the, of the, of the bomb uh, or the uh, weapon. So all biology can continue to go. So I think we need surveillance. We need much better, uh, more ubiquitous surveillance. Again, as we bring the cost down, 10 million fold and, and then more, um, you know, we might get our cell phones to be part of the surveillance system. Uh, just like we now, our cell phones are part of the reporting and jurisprudence 
a process. The, 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 you know, you have phones at, at crime scenes at, at, uh, at uh, times when uh, bad things happen um, that are either accidents or, or unusual uh, conflagrations. That, um, that could now have molecular data as well as part of the, the global network of, of sensors and, and, uh, and reporting. Wait, I missed that. Can you explain what you mean? So we can have um, molecular data. We, 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 we now have devices that are small enough that they, and yeah, low enough power that they could snap on your, your phone. Or, uh, for example, the, the uh, Oxford Nanopore has very uh, small sequencing devices. Those could be used for detecting uh, pathogens real time in your water, air, food, hmm. your in the mouth environment. And, and that would greatly help um, not just human instigated, uh, you know, bad choices, but uh, naturally occurring uh, emerging diseases uh, or uh, Al, you know, even tracking something as small as an uh, allergen outbreak. So um, if that became inexpensive and ubiquitous, again, it would cause a, a blossoming of new creativity, new apps that would make it very easy for you. You wouldn't even necessarily have to participate. It's just your phone could automatically um, send out um, you know, to, to, to a shared network um, alarms, um, that you would either either your phone would then both send them out and receive them, and you would only respond to them if they applied to you. If you had that allergy, or you um, um, did not had not been vaccinated, or something like that. So it could be made so it would be very unobtrusive, but it would be extremely uh, powerful for uh, reducing these these risks, whether they're natural or um, uh, human engineered. Right, that makes sense. And so when you say give it out to the network what kind of network are you thinking would it because there's a lot of people in like the blockchain community who really think that everything will end up on the blockchain eventually like the whole internet will be decentralized um what are your thoughts around that i think this would be another good candidate for that uh in that currently uh you harvest information like what do the uh, search engine queries look like, you know, are a lot of people querying sniffles um, in a particular geographical location, and then you can watch that, uh, that um, contagion spread. Uh, that's a little, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how effective that is, considering how little information content it has. But if you actually had a sequencing device and you knew which strain it was and what, and what uh, drugs it was resistant to, and you know, it wasn't this vague cloud, but it was this person transmitting to this person at this preschool or at this airplane. That would be so much more uh, informative and valuable. Um, yeah, I mean, th that would be really interesting to uh, live in that kind of world. And, you know, I wonder, you talk about like a smartphone and using a smartphone device, but, you know, I've also seen you talk about how smaller devices maybe even inside your body or part of your skin or uh, can also do those things in the future. How far are we away from those kinds of like 
and more invasive types of devices? Well, um, a bit further off. I mean, so these these handheld sequencing devices are already in the hands of of uh, research con researcher com consumers. Um, there are research grade. Um, experiments which can be implanted in your body where you can sense certain things. Um, you can think of them as like black boxes, like the black boxes that go in airlines that, that in a certain sense they just accumulate information until, um, until something bad happens. So most of them are accumulating information and you never read it. But when you need it, it's there. Um, and I, so I think that, that that could be a very valuable part of our medical community now but that wouldn't be an active part of the network you wouldn't you wouldn't be thinking of something where you're doing real-time blockchain transactions unnecessarily um, but it could be turned into that so you could change from a black box configuration to more of a network configuration um, and that might be even more valuable um, but again just like your own personal genome should be under your control you might imagine that a lot of this um, information about pathogens could be as well. Um, or you could say, well, the, in a way, a lot of this stuff, you're not, it's not really about you. you. You happen to be the one holding the phone, but it's really about the room you're in. It's, it's about the street you're on. Um, and so in that, in that sense, it really belongs to the public a little bit more. And then this could be, this could be negotiable depending on you know, who paid for the device and, and how you feel about, you know, whether, you, whether you're in a private room or whether you're in a public space. I mean, it, all of these things would be, uh, I think, enhanced by blockchain capabilities, um, but they would, might have different uh, uh, legal and um, personal decisions uh, uh, might be involved. Um, and it's kind of like sometimes people check the box that, Yes, I'll give feedback to the software manufacturing if something goes wrong, or maybe no, I won't. Um, or yes, I'll put in, uh, I'll add a, a, a pages to a, a, a public Wikipedia page, or no, I'm going to keep this. This is going to be my private information. Yeah, and I think over you know last you know few decades, what we've seen is our society has become in general more transparent like i remember when myspace and facebook were first coming out and i was like why would people want to put their photos online but that's now it's like why aren't you putting it online right and i can you know i can see that happening with health information as well i mean to a certain degree uh especially if there's something it's even more valuable uh you right. know it's like if i put up my the hundredth selfie of me with somebody you don't know i mean or even you do know it's not terribly informative but if i if i save you from getting some killer disease by my tweet or or uh or other social media then that would be that would be the sort of thing that might reinforce itself and you you would get um points uh, on your social network for, for saving people. Uh, and you might even be able to connect the dots between, you know, I, <clears throat> I kept this um, disease from migrating into my preschools. And, and we know from public health data how big an impact that was. Right. And maybe you can be incentivized to do those types of things through, yeah. I don't know, like a tokenized um, app or something. So there's lots exactly. of... 
exactly. variations of blockchains. And um, I think what you guys are working on is really interesting. And the fact that, you know, uh, you know, when I re read your white paper, you had a comparison of your company versus uh, the other genotyping companies and other whole, whole genome sequencing companies. And you're the only ones that have uh, these certain factors. You have the private storage of personal data, data protection through secure computing, and then you have data buyers can subsidize sequencing costs and data owners are paid for the data, like like you mentioned. So those things are the, the new wave of the way that we're going to be uh, interacting with our data. So, you know, when did you first hear about blockchain technology? Was it through your student to start Nebula Genomics or was it a different source? No, I had, uh, I had heard about it a, 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 a few years earlier. Um, uh, and I'd heard about uh, various encryption strategies even before that. Uh, I'd even programmed some of them myself just, you know, just to see what, uh, how hard it was and it wasn't that hard uh, to do some of the simple things. Um, but no, yeah, the, the, the big uh, convincing event was when Dennis Grisham, my student, uh, laid it out uh, in, in a way, in a way, in a, the particular combination of, of uh, uh, components that, that is now uh, the Nebula white paper. Uh, that, that was transformative for me. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. Glasgow SmithKline, or GSK, is one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world, and it recently invested $300 million into 23andMe. As part of this partnership, GSK will maintain exclusive rights to collaborate with 23andMe in order to develop drugs. The research team at 23andMe has already published 100 scientific papers, and in 2015, the team launched 23andMe Therapeutics to develop novel treatments and cures based on genetic insights from the consented 23andMe community. Allowing only one company to be able to use your DNA in order to find powerful and targeted drugs seems kind of wrong to me. I mean, if you think about the many other pharmaceutical companies who could benefit from this information, uh, it, it makes the progress of science kind of limited in my opinion what do you guys think and now back to the program with george church so for nebula our you know this is a common question i ask my uh guests who are founding these types of companies are is there going to be a token that will be monetized or how is that going to work there will be uh and it will uh it is not the focus of the company by any sense in principle we we could do this entirely uh, um, incentivizing with cash, that is to say there's enough cash in, the, in these models of the, the pharma research model or the, the matchmaking carrier status um, health and life insurance model that we touched upon. Um, there's enough in there that you could do that. But I think it's, it's, it's helpful. Uh, it's a natural part of the blockchain to have tokens. And also we're going to try to keep it a little bit less speculative by restricting it to um, to uh, you know professional um, investment rather than just 
wide open. Now you can't, that, that would be the first tier, the first uh, buyers. We can't really control what happens after that, but I think we're going to try to keep it uh, to people who really know what they're getting into, experts in, in both blockchain and in uh, healthcare genomics. I see Ideally. some would say maybe that limits the decentralization, decentralized aspect of um, the company, but initially, yeah, yeah, initially. But I'm, you know, there are ways to get around that. Maybe you can cap the amount each of these official, um, you know, qualified investors can put in. So maybe that that's one way to diversify or add more investors, and you know, keep it open a little bit. I mean, we're also raising money through conventional um, investment. All the money so far has, has essentially been, you know, conventional investors and venture capital. How and, much have you raised so far um, for Nebula? I believe I, 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 I shouldn't I shouldn't state. I mean, I think it's on the order of a couple of million dollars. Okay. Yeah. Um. It, it's it's the the cost. I mean. That doesn't include all the Veritas uh, fundraising, which is in the thirty-plus million-dollar range, which we le- which we leverage. Uh, that would have been the expensive part, the 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 um, the encryption and the blockchain and the uh, AI component. We can eat, we, we can uh, leverage existing technologies or partners, and so it's actually fairly modest the amount that we need at this stage. Gotcha. That makes sense. I have a question regarding, you know, we kind of touched upon this a little bit uh, with, you know, do-it-yourselfers and things like that, but there's this idea of making everything open source is better than going down the route of having it closed or using patents to protect your uh, some of these blockchain type of marketplaces. Do you have thoughts on that? It sounds like potentially you know, this... Nebula Genomics company is going to be on the open source side of things, like the ability to access. Um, you could pay for research data as long as the participants want to be involved in it. It probably won't, in, in that regard, it won't be as open source as uh, as a personal genome project uh, because the way that it will be shared is, is, is in a way where we're not even sharing it. The you're not obliged to share your genome, even with the companies that are doing research on it. They can ask, uh, you know, what allele do you have in a particular gene, and what what symptom you have that's relevant to that. And they could do that on a large number of people at once in an encrypted form, so that they don't actually know even a piece of a genome from any particular individual. So that's kind of the opposite. Um, paradigm to the to the personal genome project i guess you know you mentioned that there's about maybe ten thousand or a few tens of thousands of people who've done this uh at least on the personal genome project side how are we going to convince seven eight billion people to do this so it depends on what this is but i think genomic some sort of genomics uh ideally whole genome sequencing should be the first step, and I, and I once long ago thought that it would be a sufficient step, would be just lowering the price to the point where there was some magic price where they wouldn't care. They would just say, oh, that's, you know, that's the price of a 
a year's worth of fancy meals or something, uh, or a new shiny phone. Um, but I now feel that the, to, to really to get it to go viral enough so that everybody's talking about it, and, and so at least a billion people, if not seven billion, um, are um, in a position to, to know enough about it that they can decide to check that box or, or uh, would be to, to incentivize them rather than make them pay for it. Uh, uh, someone else pays them to do it. So then I don't know what the right amount is. And it probably varies with, um, you know, whether, whether you have a, um, a health status that's interesting to a researcher or, or, uh, or what country you're in or, you know, what socioeconomic group. But in any case, it's probably on the order of a couple hundred dollars would get your attention and cause you to tell all your friends, hey, you could get a hundred dollars, a couple hundred dollars for for merely participating and downloading this app and and using the app. Um, something that might save whoever's paying your your health bills could could be you, could be your insurance company, could be your government, but whoever is paying it could save them uh, millions of dollars. So I think that's that's where we need to go. I think one other issue, uh, and you know this very well, is that people are concerned about their privacy as well. That's mm -hmm. um, another barrier um, that we have to kind of, I guess, get over. And I feel like using a blockchain to create that layer of security and, and privacy is going to be pretty convincing as well. Because this is like the first, I think, company that's doing this in this way, from what I understand, at least in terms of using the blockchain. Are you planning to get like are you guys planning to use some sort of marketing campaign to help explain this to people or is it going to be something where over time this will be adopted right. i'm not sure i guess the question is are you going to blitz through this somehow to get people to go is it is your technology ready to go uh well uh the, the technology is ready in the sense that there's there is software that's uh in testing and it will be and it will be you know, probably be ready in a couple of months um, for broader distribution. Whether it, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that uh, the, the educational component of it is very important. Uh, there's bits and pieces of it already out there. Again, uh, it's a bit of a chicken and egg. There's nobody wants to get educated about it because it's not valuable. It's not valuable because nobody's educated and nobody's participating. Uh, I think you need to be ready with the education. So, so there's sort of nonprofits like PGED.org uh, that that uh, you know does congressional briefings and works with Hollywood, um, and uh, that could be a piece of it. But first, there has to be incentive where people say, "I want to." And it's like it's like in 1993 when when the web browsers arrived. They said, oh, okay, now I both won't have a reason to do it and I have the means to do it because I can now do a web search or, or poke around and find the information I need. Um, in this case, I think the incentive probably is this, I'm going to get paid to do my genome. The app, the app to use my genome is convincingly, I, you know, there are various ways I can convince myself that it's, that it's secure um, part of it's going to be reputational. It's the people that I trust say that it's secure. They're convinced because, you know, they know the, the mathematicians, the computer scientists that can say, yes, this is, if you're going to share your genome, this is the way to do it. Or 
you're not going to share your genome, if you're just going to participate in the ecosystem without sharing your genome, this is the way to do it. Um, so it's going to require this kind of this network effect where the network of trust, but at the core has to be something that already a lot of experts trust um, and, uh, and some track record of delivering data without mishap, um, which is where Veritas Genetics comes in. I think that's that's uh, that plus the incentive the incentive of, of cash no matter what. In other words, we're not just going to give you cash if you have some rare disease, or we're not going to just give you cash if uh, if you avoid uh, um, uh, you know a million dollar payout from the insurance company. We're going to give it to you in any case. Um, maybe there's going to be a little bit more in some cases, but it, but there'll be some floor. I think that will be enough to get the conversation going um, in a way that you would not you would not get that where where oh you give us your money you get nothing in return we get to resell it I I just don't think that's the sort of thing that engenders people um, tweeting something virally. Yeah, it's true. I like what you said about you know um, the people who do do it have to trust it and then they can tell their friends or their family members to go ahead and do it and you kind of build this referral system uh and you know a a good analogy is is uh credit cards i remember when credit cards were first uh available for use on the internet i know just a huge fraction of people said there is no way i'm ever going to be given my uh credit card over the internet and then eventually you build up um uh, trust you know just uh, that's true and with the difference with credit cards and you know that system of monetary um you know transactions it's you know it's centralized so you still are you are still trusting the company you know city card or bank of america to um manage all that for you and with that tr- with that like trust you actually get some benefits you know have- but you're also you're also trusting all of the um, uh, inter- internet nodes along the way that are that are repeating the, the packets, you're trusting the packet system, you're trusting the little mom and pop shop that put up a web page that, that takes your credit card information and then passes it on to the central ones. It's actually quite decentralized um, from a practical standpoint. Uh, so, yeah. That's I mean, an interesting that, point. It, it, it required a great deal of trust in very sophisticated technology. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. There are so many intermediaries between, um, you know, you going online and paying for something you bought, and then by the time you receive it, there's a lot of people who were uh, involved with those, you know, with that transaction. So it's kind of cool that it is decentralized. I wouldn't say it's as decentralized as like Bitcoin, for example. No, no, it's not the same. But yeah, there's, there's some useful analogies. Yeah. What do you think about Bitcoin? Actually, I'd have to ask you. Well, I can say I haven't personally invested in any. Uh, okay. Which, you know, you can say is either stupid or or just pragmatic. I mean, I've got other things to do. Um, I th- I think that the the blockchain. Is something that's a very natural match for uh, the kind the kind of genetic privacy and and uh, modest numbers of transactions that we need. Uh, even if we have a billion people participating, it's it's a fairly modest number of transactions. 
Um, so yeah. I think that's a good match. The the Bitcoin I don't think is absolute. The tokens are not necessarily that that critical, but they will be part of the of the ecosystem. Um, I, I think it's it's a it's a brilliant uh, uh, payoff in a certain sense for for some of the electronic revolution all around us. Uh, I think some people uh, you know tried uh, innovative uh, money systems. Back at the dawn of the internet, uh, I know uh, Joy Ito is a, is a friend of mine, and, and he and some of his colleagues did, were pioneers in this. And a lot of it has to do with timing and, and, and particular applications. You know, it's like at, at the early days of the internet, uh, I, you know, it wasn't quite clear why an online bookstore would be more successful than an online pet store. Um, but one of them turned into Amazon. <clears throat> right. Yeah, timing is definitely important. Um, when we met, uh, you know, a few months ago at the Blockchain for Genetics panel uh, in Harvard, uh, there was a talk about the Cambrian explosion of blockchains and how, you know, we had this one block Bitcoin and then we, you know, I guess evolved, it evolved into different ones and it forked into you know you have ethereum came out and many different other tokens i found that to be really interesting in the way that um, the person compared it to um, the cambrian explosion and do you think that's you know an accurate depiction of what's going on now is like in a sort of evolutionary way this whole blockchain thing is going to become part of our society so deeply embedded potentially that um you know, it'll just change the way we live our lives completely, or is that very um, you know, kind I, of? I think that's likely, but uh, you know, it's it's like other, you know, highly innovative uh, components of our lives. Uh, there's likely another innovation that's maybe within the box, within the Bitcoin box, that is so uh, uh, you know, let's say, greatly impacts the 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 computational uh, speed or the cost, you know, or eliminate some of these things that we worry about in terms of cost of mining uh, coins. Um, that could be all, uh, alter, hugely altering within the box, but there might be something completely outside the box that, that changes things in, in the same sense that, uh, that uh, you know, online transactions in general changed all the previous methods of, of uh, doing monetary transactions. I, our ability to either track, uh, we, we could, we could re-embrace the importance of being able to track money, let's say for, to reduce um, illegal activity, or we might more greatly embrace the, the freedom uh, aspect. Uh, so these, these things are a little hard to calculate, but it's certainly having a gigantic effect that, that we can even discuss all these options uh, in the same sense there was a kind of a Cambrian explosion um, um, you know, in the early days uh, of the internet and before that um, in in computation itself where you will you'll have these bifurcations um, where there'll be a mutation that, that suddenly but it's not just one Cambrian explosion there there's just a whole series of them that go on and on um, forever very interesting i wanted to get into a little um 
like philosophical question here. So what is the meaning of life to you? And how will it change, do you think, in the next like five years, 10 years, 30 years? Well, so there's, you know, there's two kinds of And you can't say 42. <laughs> there's two kinds of life that you might be worrying about here. Uh, you know, one is human life and the other is... I guess the better question would be, sorry, um, consciousness, rather. Like, so what is the basis of consciousness? Right, so consciousness um, and, and the whole series of, of uh, related uh, topics ha- having to do with uh, intelligence, qualia, sensation, uh, so forth. Uh, these, are, these are typically things that involve trust, in other words, uh, and uh, analogy. I, I see you, you look like me, you talk like me, I assume you're thinking like me, which is not always true. Um, but if we, if we uh, part of this becomes important because we're entrusting more and more of our decision-making to machines, um, do they have uh, a consciousness or will they have a consciousness close enough to ours that we'll trust it or will we or will we start saying, well, consciousness is greatly overrated. You know, there's all kinds of intelligence that can be done in, in a way that it is not directly related or mappable onto human consciousness. Um, my guess is there is some profound advantage to human-like consciousness, and we will uh, rediscover it maybe multiple times or different aspects of it and simulate it in various ways. Um, it may turn out that it's just easier to do with uh, using um, bioorganic systems. You know, there are, maybe they're already uh, close to the level of c- complexity that we need. Certainly, they have certain advantages in that. Um, you know, Moore's law is kind of plateauing a little bit uh, in, in terms of it, it was exponential growth, and it uh, consumes a lot of energy per computation. Uh, living systems, uh, brains, and um, polymerases and so forth are, are orders of magnitude more energy efficient. We're still on a, a Moore's Law-like curve that's, that's getting faster and faster rather than slower and slower, um, and so that's something to be taken into consideration. And also, biological systems are already atomically precise, which is where Moore's Law would go if it could go there, is where you're manipulating individual atoms and and the even uh, uh, quantum mechanics is often uh, tweaked by uh, by biological uh, biochemical systems. So I think all of these things conspire on 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 a, a consciousness that if it's not human, um, it might be somehow related and in, and engineerable. Uh, there are there are ethical issues here, um, as 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 always with with uh, transformative technologies. Uh, but I think that's where we might be. Very cool. That's really interesting. Uh, I have another question here for you. Who is your favorite scientist? Do you have one? Um, I have a, a few that, that, that either are favorite because they, they influenced me or I felt they were stellar or, you know, so, uh, my mentors, uh, were terribly important, which was, uh, Creighton Bedford in higher and in, in high school, uh, Sunho Kim in, in in college and graduate school, who was a crystallographer, Wally Gilbert um, 
in graduate school and postdoc. Gail Martin is a postdoc. Those, so those were people that I admired. I happened to have the luck to work closely with them. Um, people that I didn't have the good fortune to work with but are never, nevertheless admirable are people like um, uh, Marie Curie and, uh, and Einstein and Hawking. I'm, I'm quite impressed by uh, Ting Wu, who, who is my, uh, who I've, uh, my closest friend for 40 years, uh, and a truly exceptional genius scientist, geneticist, um, and the list goes on. I could, uh, sure. I, I could uh, list many more. You know, we had a lot of topics we discussed today uh, from, you know, how you started this company or how you co-founded the Nebula Genomics and also some of the privacy concerns people have and how, you know, whole genome sequencing can potentially be both beneficial, but there are also, there are also risks. Uh, is there anything you want to, you know, leave the audience with that uh, you think is important and maybe explain to them how they can get involved or what's the easiest way for them to get their genome sequenced? Uh Right. I mean, I think uh, they should uh, uh, embrace uh, the educational component. Uh, have have, a, and it's two way. It's dialogue. They need to, uh, and I think a good way is at pged.org. Um, there, there's some interesting material there, uh, and they can share that with other people and start talking about it the way you would any any new hot intellectual topic. Uh, so I would I would do that before you got uh, involved. In, um, you know, with your own body or your own money, um, it's good to get your mind uh, up to speed. Uh, and but then, uh, if you do want to get your genome sequence, I would recommend whole genome sequence, nothing less, uh, or whatever the best is right now. And I would say, you know, I've already mentioned uh, Veritas Genetics and uh, and BGI uh, as two that um, that I think uh, you know, have experience. Uh, Veritas, in particular, has experience with returning. Uh, CLIA approved data with um, uh, genetic counseling. That's that's a pretty rare combination: whole genome, CLIA, and genetic counseling. So, and the genetic counseling—that's like you know, what, like a thirty-minute consultation, or is it a? What's the? Well, at that price, it's pretty minimal. Uh, and and if you have something serious, you should follow up with something more detailed. All of these things are physi- uh, physician is involved from the very beginning. Most people, 95% of people, will have nothing actionable. Some will have some pharmacogenetics, the things that, that could save their life if, if they have a, a rare um, uh, problem with anesthesia. Um, a few have adult onset diseases that are avoidable, cardiac disease or, or cancer. Um, and then, it, and then the, probably the largest single category is if you have a, a carrier of a disease that if you're a carrier of disease, you want to have some sort of matchmaking software or some matchmaking uh, strategy that you have so that you um, don't get heavily emotionally involved with someone who has exactly the same genetic problem. Uh, and this is, this is what that, that sort of matchmaking has eliminated certain genetic diseases like Tay-Sachs. Uh, and it, the hope is that Nebula and maybe some other efforts will allow that to to be applied to everybody around the world yeah i hope so too i think uh, you know looking forward there's a lot of potential and the vision is actually really exciting 
And I just want to, you know, thank you again, Professor George Church. Um, and this has been, a, I think, a great conversation. And I would love to welcome you back in, in the future uh, to see how Nebula Genomics is going. Thank you very much. Yep. Sure. Thank you very much. A great, great conversation. Thank you. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.